Good morning, church. Let's, before we jump in, let's open with a word of prayer. Father, once again, we come before you and we thank you for this time that we can gather together and learn about studying your word, reading your word for what you would have to speak, not imposing what we would want on it, but what but the meaning that you would have for us. Father, I pray that you would be with us, that you would guide us through this, and that this would be a, a time that is productive and glorifying to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we have come to our last week through the book that we've been working through, Inductive Bible Study, for the Kostenberger and Fuhrer uh, Inductive Bible Study book. So we are finishing up our last week of application, of putting what we've studied into practice. Because as we've talked about, that really the point of study is not just knowing, but actually doing. Because without doing, it's kind of pointless. So we've... You know, we've established the relevance and legitimacy of, our, of the meaning and the appropriation. We've appropriated the, the meaning, we, meaning we've, we've gone from what, what was the application then and there to the here and now. Because we have to keep in mind, it was written for us, but not to us. We didn't write it. We weren't the original recipients. But the meaning is going to be consistent to today of doing theology. You know, we sometimes run into the word theology. It can be an intimidating, some, for some people it's even a turnoff. You know, I don't need theology, I just need Jesus. How many times have we heard this? And yet, whether we realize it or not, or we want to admit it or not, we do theology every day. We have, you know, with appropriation, you know, we, our theme verse that we've been working through or that we've been working with is James 1, through 25. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. As we've been talking about, the whole point of inductive Bible study is to live out the word of God in our lives. Knowing the word without doing is of no avail to the believer. We have to do. Doing theology is a natural outflow of an inductive approach to Scripture. This is what differentiates inductive Bible study from merely an academic study of a historical peculiarity. You know, how many people do we know or how many times have we seen? You know, people have written commentaries or they've written analyses of Scripture, but their fundamental assumption is that this is just a historical book like no other with no particular authority or inspiration. And 
they can be very good. They sometimes can be very helpful on analyses of the language and the historical context, and yet, that's where it stops, merely as an academic peculiarity. And yet we believe that the Bible is so much more. It is the inspired and authoritative word of God in our lives. Consequently, that demands a response from us. An inductive approach to Scripture will lead to both a knowledge of Scripture and doing what the Word requires. And the Word of God requires a lot of us. It is also, it is the result of a methodological study of, the result of a methodological study of Scripture over time is theology. We must not forget that while the Holy Spirit can give the spark of interpretation or of inspiration to the observation and interpretation, it's more the inspiration is in the application, in the appropriation. How does this apply to us today? What do we do? But that, you know, that spark of inspiration that we talk, that some people talk about, you know, I don't need to do the work, I'll just read it and the Holy Spirit will tell me what it means. That's not the normative mode of Bible study. The normative mode of study involves work and hard work. Wrestling with the text, what does this mean? So when we talk about theology, theology is the correlation of individual observed, interpreted, and applied texts. We've talked about in previous weeks uh, that there's interpretive correlation where Scripture interprets Scripture. Where, do the, where does this show up again? Maybe where are words repeated throughout? Where is a structure repeated? The interpretive correlation within the same text. But there's also thematic correlation that we talked about where we're taking themes and motifs that show up in one section of Scripture and correlating it with the same themes and motifs showing up in other places. And when we draw this together, we're beginning to do theology. We're beginning to put together what does Scripture say on this topic that's important to the writers. So doing theology really is not anything new from what we've been talking about, but it is intentional. This doesn't happen by accident. To properly do theology, we actually have to be reading the Word, knowing what the Word says, and it is methodological. This isn't a willy-nilly, we've just stumbled onto something, although... Sometimes we kind of do stumble onto things, but we don't develop theologies around things we just randomly stumble across. We've seen people and we've seen groups that have done that, and the result is usually some pretty wild stuff. It doesn't usually work out so well. So when we talk about doing theology, there really are two competing approaches. There's biblical theology, where we're going to be hanging out the rest of today, which is approaching Scripture on its own terms, deriving theological categories from the interests and the terminology of the biblical writers. When we develop a biblical theology, we're developing a biblical theology based on what was important to the writer. Whereas systematic theology more imposes a structure around the interests of the church, 
typically reflecting historical and contemporary interests of the church. And you'll see a lot of you know, systematic theologies. You know, if you pick one up, it'll be organized around you know, a theology of sanctification, a theology of the Holy Spirit, a theology of God. And while these are certainly biblical things, you will find you know, God, the Holy Spirit, sanctification, those terms in the Bible... Systematic theology kind of flattens out the differences of what the different authors, of how it's put in different books. Biblical theology approaches it on its own terms. So, biblical theology tends to be historically organized. That is, it's off, we will often be able to trace the progressive development and revelation of a particular theology throughout a book and the canon of Scripture. You know, we talked about at the very beginning of all of this that one of the principles, you know, one of the hermeneutical principles that we, that we stick to is this idea of the progressive principle. That scripture, later scripture, can build on or clarify what was talked about earlier. And we see this in the progressive revelation of, of God's salvation. You know, we see an allusion to it in Genesis 3. Yeah. You, he, you will crush his head, but he will bite your heel. Or you, you will bite his heel, but he will crush your head. We see that. That's an allusion to... Yeah, that's an, you know, the proto-euangelion, uh, this allusion to salvation that's to come. But we couldn't look at that and say that's the gospel. Because... It's not. I mean, it's an allusion to it. It's, it's a promise of something to come. And yet, we see that development of God's deliverance, of God's salvation, built throughout Scripture. And biblical theology will bring that out. Whereas systematic theology tends to be more topically organized. Consequently, like I said, it's going to flatten out a lot of the differences. Um, Whereas biblical theology is going to be termed and organized around how is this presented by that writer in its context. Like I said, you know, so it is, there's the historical context of Scripture. What's the background of this? How did, you know, what was going on at the time that this was revealed in the Word? Systematic theology is going to be more organized around the interests of, of the church. Whereas, so, you know, the church is very interested in soteriology. Well, it's going to be organized around that. Like I said, you'll see systematic theologies, and there's whole chapters, there's whole books that are just a theology of salvation. And they're very good, and they can be incredibly helpful. But it's pulling it, it, it tends to remove it from the context, as opposed to, say, you know, a biblical theology of salvation in Romans, where we're working through the development of what Paul is talking about, salvation, through the book of Romans. A systematic theology will pull it out. It also, a biblical theology, focuses on what was of interest 
to the biblical writers. Yeah. Not everything that we talk about today, not everything that we want to focus on today was always of interest to the writers of a particular book. In fact, there are a number of things, and we'll get to a couple of examples of things that we as the church tend to take great interest in, and yet you're going to have a hard time finding that a clear answer to that in Scripture because it wasn't necessarily of importance to the writers of the Scripture. Biblical theology works within the framework of the- theological categories presented in Scripture. The framework that biblical theology takes is the framework that Scripture gives it. We're drawing out that framework. We're not trying to read in a framework. Whereas systematic theology will build a framework for doctrine around categories that may not be directly found in the biblical text. They're certainly there, but maybe it's not so explicit. Biblical theology is going to look more of the framework of what's in Scripture. What's the primary focus of Paul in Romans? Well, that's going to be the framework we're working with. And often biblical theology will use the own set, will expound theology in its own setting using its own terms, categories, and thought forms. So, for example, the theology of Paul in Romans. There's particular terminology that Paul uses. Well, that'll be the terminology we use because that was the terminology that was important to Paul. Paul used those words for a reason. There's a logic, there, you know, there's a logic structure in Romans that's there for a reason, building a particular argument for a particular reason. Well, that'll be the logic and the thought form that we use because that was the form that was important to the writer. Systematic theology is going to tend to use more contemporary terms using modern thought forms. And it tends to be more focused on a rationally defensible system. Again, very good, but it may impose a logic on the text that isn't necessarily there in the text. Yeah, before you, you move on from this, I... I um... I almost feel like I want to defend systematic theology a little bit. Okay, go um, for it. So uh, obviously, I think the emphasis upon biblical theology is very, very good and necessary. Like yeah. I, uh, but the it, a good systematic theology can only happen if good biblical theology has been done first. Yes, that's something you're going to get to. Very next slide. Okay, there you go. There you go. Okay, I, I, was, I was looking on the. Sheet yeah, and I didn't see that. So, okay, yeah, yeah. But, but and just go back for a minute, because there's sure. one thing I want to touch on with, um, you know, where histor- uh, systematic theology, it's kind of organized by historical and contemporary interests of the church. Um, there are historical reasons for that with Absolutely. certain debates and heresies that cropped up, and the church Absolutely. had to figure out, okay, how are we going to answer this? And so a systematic theology developed based on, okay, we got to really be sharp about how we respond to this particular heresy that's cropped up. And so that particular systematic theology developed out of that. So I think there, are, there can be very good historical reasons for why those categories developed as they were responding to particular heresies. 
but to your point, it absolutely needs to be balanced by, okay, the, these categories really ought to flow from good biblical theology, and it should be organized that way. I don't view biblical theology and systematic theology as competing. No. I view them as complementary. Yes, uh, absolutely. So that's, at least when it's done well. Yes. Systematic theology can be abused. Like, for sure. And, and we've, seen, we've yeah. seen that throughout history, yeah. for sure. And yeah, so by looking at this, we can sometimes get the, we might get the impression that, oh, you know, biblical theology good, systematic theology bad. And that's not the case at all. Okay, yeah. we, we owe, you know, where we're at today, we owe a great debt to systematic theology. Um, you know, when it talks about historical and contemporary interests of the church, to Ken's point, those interests, some of those interests that have popped up have been heresies that have popped up in the church throughout the ages that may not have been directly addressed by the writers of Scripture. But, you know, as, you know, as Paul talks about in his description of the state of man in Romans 1, we were inventors of evil, okay? So there are going to be heresies that, that came up that were not necessarily talked about directly that, hey, we as the church, we need to combat this because we know this isn't correct. We know this is wrong and we can defend it from Scripture, but this isn't necessarily a topic that was widely expounded upon. So, yeah, we've absolutely, you know, we saw this a lot through the Reformation. You know, as, as the church was breaking away from Roman Catholicism that because of various heresies and teachings that, were, that had built up over time, there were systematic theologies developed. You know, we think of, you know, throughout history, some of the big ones, you know, Calvin's Institutes. We, within the Reformed and Protestant tradition, owe a huge debt to Calvin, you know, to the work that Calvin did in his institutes. So systematic theologies done correctly are an indispensable resource. But as one biblical scholar put it, biblical theology really is systematic theology done right. Um, a good systematic theology will be a biblical theology you're not going to get a good systematic theology if you have bad biblical theology. The, the necessary condition for a good systematic theology is biblical theology. Biblical the, and biblical theology is the natural outgrowth of a good inductive study of Scripture. What, simply, what does the Bible say on its own terms? So yeah, I... I think, Ken, your, your point about systematic theology is absolutely well taken. This, I don't want it to seem like I'm saying, you know, systematic theology, bad, because it's not. And there are incredibly good systematic theologies, modern and historical, that I'd recommend to anybody. Like, you, know, you, you want to read a good systematic theology, a solid biblical systematic theology, there are a number of them out there of... You know, of men who have been faithful to what the Bible says in their development and organization of a systematic theology. So, yes. So, there is, there is a case to be made for biblical theology. 
One, biblical theology is framed by the categories found in the Bible. That when we, you know, when we talk about an inductive study as we've been working through um, observation, interpretation, application, one of the core, you know, the core things, the core steps in observation is what are we observing in the text? What are we drawing out of the text, not what are we imposing on the text? You know, biblical theology is framed by the natural, historical, literary, and theological boundaries in the text. You know, remember when we talked about that some of the big gaps that we have to bridge between the here and now to the then and there are these historical, literary, and theological gaps. You know, for example, there's theologies that are related to a specific book or author or time frames. You'll see some, you know, a theology of the 8th century minor prophets. Well, that's it's time frame. You'll see some, you know, a theology of Romans. Well, there's a book. A theology of Paul. Well, there's your author. While biblical theology must ultimately accommodate the teachings of the full canon, it does begin by performing a correlation of co- incohesive segments of Scripture. A biblical theology is very much a bottom-up. We're looking at the units of the text, then we're correlating the units of the text together. What is this saying about a particular topic? Biblical theology will a biblical theology done right will ultimately validate the continuity of Scripture. That what was said in Genesis is just as true as in Revelation. And in fact, nothing in Revelation is going to contradict Genesis. That there is, there's a progression, but there's also harmony in the progression. And sometimes it's not always easy to see, but it's there. Biblical theology is built on the motifs and themes of Scripture. You know, whereas a systematic theology is concerned with questions of orthodoxy, so as we talked about, you know, that there may have been heresies or teachings popping up throughout, in the church throughout the ages that, hey, this needs to be addressed... Biblical theology is primarily concerned with what are the motifs and themes in the text of Scripture itself. Yeah. Nothing in this, you know, you're not going to find anything in Scripture that's specifically addressing Nestorianism. It's a heresy that popped up after the canon. But there are themes and there are motifs that we can build that will counter that but we've got to do the work. One, of the, one way that we see this pop up is you know, descriptions of God in systematic theology. So there's his characteristics, you know, holiness, goodness, and his imminence. His attributes, you know, we think of omniscience, omnipotence, omnipresence. The nature of the Trinity, you know, co-equal and co-eternal is their subordination within the Godhead. These are things that you'll find in pretty pretty much any good, sound, systematic theology. And yet, 
tell me where the Trinity pops up in Scripture. We see it. We, you know, we see God the Father. We see the Son. We see the Holy Spirit. But we're not going to find the word Trinity. So the, there's going to be some differences. Terminology that we're going to use is going to be different. Concepts may certainly be there. How is, you know, from a biblical theology perspective, how is God often, how is God described? Well, sometimes he's described as a divine warrior who both destroys and saves. Where was the last systematic theology that you read where it talks about God? You know, one of the headings, you know, God is a warrior. You'll hear maybe it referenced, and yet there are whole sections in the Psalms. Didn't we, we just got done reading through a whole stretch of the, the imprecatory Psalms where God as judge, God as warrior, God as one who destroys his en the enemies and saves his people. That's a key theme of that stretch of the Psalms. God is described as a loving father in, in Scripture. It's also described as a jilted husband. A roaring lion, a caring shepherd, a mighty king. These are, all, these are all descriptions that you'll see of God in the text of Scripture itself. Sometimes systematic theologies will kind of smooth over some of those descriptions to bring together into a cohesiveness. Some motifs also are specific to a particular book while others are reflected throughout the entire canon of Scripture. But the key that we want to make sure that we're focusing on when we're developing a biblical theology is are the themes and motifs that we're seeing in a biblical theology when we're doing theology, is this in the text of Scripture itself? Because at the end of the day, that is our anchor, that is our guardrail in inductive Bible study. Is this in the scripture? Is this in the text? As I had said previously, biblical theology is developed by working up from the text. It begins by asking questions related to the text. What were the original authors communicating to their original recipients? What questions about God, man, and reality were they seeking to address? What issues were they most interested in resolving? This is fundamentally the inductive approach. But there are some things that a biblical theology doesn't necessarily answer because Scripture doesn't necessarily speak to these issues. One question that sometimes comes up in debates that we would desperately love to have an answer to, but Scripture doesn't really go into this a whole lot. What happens to infants and children and those with severe disabilities who die? We would love to have a clear, solid answer on that, and yet... And there are, there are, there are people who have developed arguments around, you know, what, what happens? This is where we get that where that idea of the age of accountability comes into play. Well, and yet, what happens definitively, Scripture is silent on. 
So a biblical theology seeks to answer the questions that the text is itself asking. Both the questions that we ask of the text and the, que- the answers to those questions are drawn from the text itself. We're not imposing, we're, not, we're seeking to not impose questions on the text that aren't there. And biblical theology embraces the tension reflected by the text. That sometimes, you know, we see, for example, in Isaiah, 8th century, where it says, you know, God will deliver this city. And yet we see in Jeremiah, two centuries later, God will not deliver this city. There's a tension there. And they're talking about the same city. There seems to be a tension there. Now, what's changed? Well, there's been a change in circumstances. Things are, the situation is not the same in Jeremiah as it was in Isaiah. And by simply acknowledging that there's a different context prompting the writing of this, of one book versus another, we don't necessarily have to we don't necessarily have to burden ourselves with trying to smooth out, you know, make that tension go away or ignore it. We can acknowledge, yeah, there's a tension there. God will deliver this city. God will not deliver this city. But by sticking to the his, a historical literary, within the historical literary and theological guardrails of the text, we can live with that tension, and that's okay. But there are principles for doing theology. You know, when we talk about, you know, there's a, there is a systematic methodological approach. Again, inductive Bible study, b- biblical theology, the natural outgrowth, is not a willy-nilly approach to whatever we feel like is supposed to be there, whatever feels good to us. Sometimes what's there doesn't feel good. And we have to wrestle with that. But doing theology does not happen by accident. We need to intentionally seek the natural correlations between Scripture. Yeah. This pops up in a number of different ways. There are themes that repeat themselves throughout Scripture. We see in the Old Testament, or in the New Testament, there's New Testament use of the Old Testament. Paul, you know, the writers of the New Testament quote the Old Testament time and time and time and time again. Well, what's the correlation there? Why that? Well, we have to be intentional in our study. This doesn't happen by accident. We have to be exegetical that we must always strive to ensure that our interpretations and applications are based on a sound reading and observation of the text. That, that our theology is a natural outgrowth of what's there in Scripture, not something that we are trying to impose and force on the text. That, that what we believe is shaped by what Scripture says and not that our interpretation of Scripture is shaped by what we believe. 
the flow always should be from what Scripture says to what we believe, not from what we believe to what we want Scripture to say. It must be drawn from a sound reading and interpretation of the text. And that, at the end of the day, is the primary guardrail. Scripture itself is the guardrail when we rightly handle and rightly read and interpret Scripture, when we, simply, when we simply strive to read what's there in the text, that is our guardrail. Scripture is its own guardrail. We also have to be balanced. We need to give equal weight to texts when they seem to support opposite sides of a position. We don't need to be afraid of the tension. God will deliver this city. God will not deliver this city. We can't just pick one of those to go with because we like what it says better and it fits with what we want to believe. Oh yeah, God's going to save this. So I'm going to go with what Isaiah says. God will deliver this city. Yeah, well, the same God also said in Jeremiah, I will not deliver this city and we need to wrestle with that. That both are the word of God, both are true. So we have to be balanced. So that's where we have to ask the question, what's changed? We know that both of these are true, and yet they both seem to be very opposite of each other, how can both be true? We have to be balanced in our approach. We also have to be sensible. We want to ensure that the connections that we've drawn are based on sound exegesis. Theology should not be built on flimsy connections. The connections that we make need to make sense with what Scripture says. This can show up, you know, we've, we've seen, I'm sure, the memes floating around Facebook, you are not David. Well, coming from the place where people are, where some people have made the connection, well, you know, you'd be a David and overcome your Goliath. Well, that's a terrible connection because that's not what the text of Scripture is saying. Good theology is also built on a sensible interpretation of what the text is saying. We want the connections to be strong and defensible connections. We need to be thorough. Ultimately, biblical theology is canonical and considers the whole of the biblical text. It doesn't neglect re relevant passages. And sometimes being thorough also means we've got two passages that seem to say different things. We have to wrestle with that. Doing theology is also practical. That proper theology provides an articulation of what the Bible teaches in terms of knowledge and practice. The goal of biblical study is the development of a biblical theology that may be the basis for Christian faith and life. That ultimately, doing theology, a sound biblical theology, should translate into how we live our lives. There is practical application that is drawn from sound interpretation and thorough observation of the text. If it doesn't translate to application, 
where knowers were those who know without doing. And of what good is that to the believer? Ultimately, theology is the story of God's redemptive relationship with humankind, revealed to us in a book, the Bible. It ultimately is about understanding how God has revealed himself to us. You know, Scripture talks about the the secret things belong to God. There are answers that we would love to have that Scripture doesn't answer because they're not for us to know. But there are a lot of things that are revealed in Scripture that are for us to know. Especially when it comes to God's redemptive relationship with his creation. And that at the end of the day is what doing theology is about, is understanding that relationship so that it translates into our lives and ultimately the spread of the gospel. What time do we have? We're like... Does anyone have any thoughts as we've... (laughs) And for those who are interested, (laughs) there is a podcast out there that Ken Chipchase is one of the co-hosts of, ironically entitled, Do Theology. I suggest everyone check it out. Yes, the shameless plug. So, all right. Let's, let's pray. <laughs> Father, I thank you that as we've come, as we're wrapping up our time studying through how to study and understand and best appropriate and apply your word to our lives, we thank you that that we can only do this because you have made yourself known to us, that you have revealed yourself to us in your word, that you, are not, that you are not a God who is satisfied to remain hidden and mysterious to his creation, but you are a God who is near, that you are a God who wants to, us to know him, who has revealed himself and ultimately revealed himself in his son. And we thank you for that. And Father, as we move forward, I pray that we would approach your word with a desire to seek what you would have us to know and what you would have us to do. In Jesus' name, amen.